Well, folks, ta Jerry Adams on a race on Shaw, August Tassiola Gomsa, Gowil Shibsha, Gomoy. And I want to finish, I want to start actually, off by saying well done to everyone who took part in uh, the day of action night two Saturdays ago in Belfast and in Dublin, which promoted the theme of unity in our time. And the new Bobby Sands mural was officially unveiled at the International Wall in Devis Street. And there were pickets across the city of Belfast and the city of Dublin, as well as on the famous Hippany Bridge across the Liffey. So fair play to you, belief where August Munra. And just watching the machinations and the shenanigans around this Article 16 and the various uh, shapes that have been thrown by the Union, particularly the DUP and the English uh, government. And if, if, if you're unfamiliar with the language of Brexit, this is all about Article 16. And Article 16 is a legal mechanism which can be triggered if the protocol is creating serious, and I quote, economic, societal or environmental difficulties that are liable to persist. And Article 16 allows one side or the other to unilaterally suspend parts of the deal. So the British government for months now has been claiming that the bar for invoking Article 16 was reached in the summer. And uh, I, I, I heard the minister responsible, Minister Frost, actually making the, the same claim a night or two ago. Uh, and Geoffrey Donaldson, his efforts to heighten the sense of crisis, Geoffrey Donaldson has repeatedly demanded that the British invoke Article 16 if the EU do not concede to London's demands. And you'll know that loyalist groups have hijacked several buses and the Progressive Unionist Party says there's no longer a basis for unionists supporting the Good Friday Agreement. And the threat of violence, real or otherwise, has been consciously whipped up by some within unionism to raise tensions and to, I suppose, be used to attempt to lever concessions from the European Union. Now, in contrast to all of this and all of the bombast, a University of Liverpool survey found that most unionists do not regard the protocol as a priority concern. And more significantly, four senior U.S. Democrats who chair major congressional committees, Gregory W. Meeks, chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, William R. Keating, chair of the Europe, Energy, the Environment and Cyber Subcommittee, Earl Pluminer, chair of the Ways and Means Subcommittee on Trade, and Brendan Boyle, chair of the European Union Caucus, issued a joint statement in which they called on the British government to end its threat to use Article 16. And the four US politicians warned that the full implementation of the protocol is critical for ensuring that Brexit does not undermine decades of progress towards peace on the island of Ireland. And adding to the pressure on the Johnson government in London, the European Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, met President Biden in the White House and emerged saying that the EU has the support 
of the United States. And she told journalists that the EU and the USA share the assessment that it's important for peace and stability on the island of Ireland to keep the withdrawal agreement and to stick to the protocol. But for now, the DUP and Johnson still appear determined to create a real crisis with the EU. Whether this is bluff or not, that remains to be seen. London has set a December deadline for a deal on British terms. So will they trigger Article 16 as part of this process? We should know fairly soon. And then the other development of recent times was this notion that we heard of the British government going to commission uh, historians to write an official history of the conflict here. And it was uh, a US Senator, Harram Johnson in 1917, who said, the first casualty when war comes is the truth. And we know only too well from our own recent experience of reporting on the decades of conflict, how true this is. However, it's, I suppose, equally important to look at the other side of the coin, the notion that the victor writes the history. The narrative of European colonialism and especially of the British Empire is full of examples of this. The British public today still believe that the, well, elements of them do, that the empire was great, was benign, while in Ireland and in Africa and India and elsewhere, those who suffered from its exploitation and brutality see the empire as a thief, an exploiter, a mass murderer, and the preferer of famine and poverty. The English claim that they came to Ireland to civilise the barbarians and colonial and western powers often use this type of an excuse to justify their colonial occupation and military interventions. In recent years this was evident again in Iraq and Afghanistan and in Libya. The French philosopher and writer Jean-Paul Sartre described it well. Terror and exploitation dehumanize, and the exploiter authorizes himself with that dehumanization to carry his exploitation further. In the 19th century, British strategy in Ireland was based on this approach. We Irish were the problem. They, the English, the British, were the solution. The British state presented the Irish as ape-like in order to justify its use of coercion. O'Connell, who was leading a campaign to end the union with Britain, was described by the Times in London as scum, condensed of Irish bog, and a greedy, self-serving Satan. In 1846, in justification of even greater coercion, the Times wrote, The great obstacle to tranquility in Ireland is the national character, the character of the masses of the middle class, of the senators of Ireland. When Ireland acts according to the principle of civilised man, then she can be ruled by the laws of civilised man. The 19th century saw 
Coercion Acts passed every year by London to maintain its domination. Following partition's success, the British governments and media ignored the institutionalised, discriminatory and sectarian policies used, created by England, but used by the Ulster Unionist Party to maintain its control. During the years of conflict that followed the rejection by Stormont of very modest civil rights demands, the British state and its military attempted to manage the news. General Frank Kitson, Britain's leading counterinsurgency expert, wrote, The press, properly handled, is one of the government's strongest weapons. Many programmes were banned. The lie used by the establishment North and South was that the British Army was needed to prevent civil war between Catholics and Protestants. The narrative, this narrative helped fuel the years of war. It made the job of dialogue and conversation almost impossible. Sinn Féin was dehumanised. Our, our voters were dehumanised. And by extension, anyone who spoke to us was the target for vilification. John Hume endured huge criticism for daring to talk to me about peace. The Dublin government was outraged, or pretended to be outraged. Almost 25 years after the Good Friday Agreement, the British establishment is still fighting the war. The spooks and securocrats who ran the British system, who run it yet, know the IRA was not defeated. Instead, the IRA facilitated and supported the peace process. And that's not acceptable to the warmongers and their cheerleaders on the British side. They're also worried that the historic narrative is increasingly exposing Britain's illegal and violent actions during these years. In addition to the fact that Sinn Féin is in government in the North and might well need a government in Dublin in the near future is intolerable to them. It wasn't supposed to happen like this. Therefore, it came as no surprise when the London Telegraph revealed at the weekend that the British government is to commission a history of the Troubles, beginning in the 1960s up to the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. The Telegraph story states that this idea comes from Britain's colonial office in the north, the NIO, and that London will appoint a group of historians to write this official history. This group of historians, appointed by the government, will, they claim, be independent of the government. Maria. Censorship and bias in the reportage of events and the interpretation and analysis of these events is a powerful weapon in any government's arsenal. It allows it to shape attitudes in society in its own interests. British governments are especially good at this. In one hand, they pose as the defenders of free speech and democratic change while imposing censorship or restricting debate and refusing change when it suits their national interests. I've often thought and often said that if the people of England knew what was being done in their name in our country, they would rise up to get it stopped. In October 1988, Margaret Thatcher introduced formal censorship, formal restrictions on Sinn Féin. Our voices could no longer be heard. Our electorate could no longer have their views ventilated on the main media. And then a day or two after she brought in this piece of coercion, 
Thatcher in Poland lectured the Polish government on the merits of openness. She said, In modern society, success depends upon openness and free discussion. Suppress these things and you are unable to respond to the need for change. There you have it. Now, she's not alone in employing this hypocritical policy. Successive Irish governments imposed Section 31. The effects of state censorship was pernicious. It rolled over into a revisionist history of recent Irish uh, history which encouraged partitionism. The British government's current efforts to close down legacy cases is an example of this hypocrisy. The right of families and victims to truth are being set aside through the introduction of a statute of limitations. The British state is intent on hiding the criminal actions of its forces and its use of collusion with state-sponsored murder gangs. But however hard the British government seeks to do this, however many revisionist historians they employ to bolster London's view of history, the case of Pat Finucane, for example, the importation by British intelligence of South African weapons for loyalist groups, the three reports of the Stevens report, the role of state agents like Brian Nelson and the Glenan gang, the deaths of hundreds of victims in the countless official reports by the Ombudsman and others in the state collusion will continue to haunt the British government. No amount of historical revisionism will change that. Only an end of London rule in our country and our ability to start making our own history will bring about that change. So Shinne, Shin Mamej, Akarja, I'm going to finish with uh, an old song from the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem, Whack for the diddle, or thank God we're surrounded by water. Enjoy. Slan live. I'll tell you a tale of peace and love. Oh, whack for the diddle of the day to day. Of the land that reigns all lands above. Oh, whack for the diddle of the day to day. May peace and plenty be her share. Who kept our homes from want and care. Oh, God bless England is our prayer. Whack for the diddle of the day do day. Whack for the diddle of the day do day. So we say, hipparay, come and listen while we pray. Whack for the diddle of the day do day. Now our fathers oft were naughty boys. Whack for the diddle of the day do day. For pikes and guns are dangerous toys. Whack for the diddle of the day do day. At Ballinahabui and at Bunker's Hill, we made poor England cry her fill. But old Britannia loves us still. Oh, whack for the diddle of the day, do day. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. So we say, hipparay, God bless England, so we pray. Whack for the diddle of the day, do day. Now when we were savage, fierce and wild, oh, whack for the diddle of the day, do day. She came as a mother to her child. Oh, whack for the diddle of the day, do day. Gently raised us from the slime And kept our hands from hellish crime And she sent us to heaven in her own good time Whack full the diddle of the day do day Whack full the diddle of the day do day So we say, hipparay, God bless England, so we pray Whack full the diddle of the day do day Oh now Irish men forget the past Oh, whack full the diddle of the day do day 
And think of the day that's coming fast. Oh, what for the diddle of the dido. When we shall all be civilized, neat and clean, and well advised. Oh, won't Mother England be surprised? Oh, whack for the diddle of the dido day. Whack for the diddle of the dido day. So we say, Epare, God bless England, so we pray. Whack for the diddle of the dido day.